what could we do for our community and reach out to people who want to design their lives or who are designing their lives and set up, you know, I love tea being Turkish, just like you said, <laughs> it's such a big part of my life. So we were like, how about we do a virtual tea and we do it every Wednesday, once a week. And we pick one tool from our toolbox and we do it together. So it gives us a way to collaborate and think creatively and recognize that in this moment of challenge, we can all turn that challenge into an opportunity and do it collaboratively. Welcome to the Rebel Souls podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelley Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, an author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. Hello and welcome back, my fellow rebel souls. This is your OG rebel soul and host, Shelly. So good to be back with you. And you guys, it's the end of 2020. We made it. Just want to do like a little happy dance, a little celebration for those of you who are seeing me on video, like I'm doing the little like shoulder shimmy. Yeah, let's celebrate that. It's been a long, hard year. There've been a lot of gifts in this year, but there's been a lot of tragedy and a lot of our lives being upended in so many ways. And I think we've talked about it, but this has been a year of reflection. I think it's really challenged a lot of us, whether we've been, you know, our, the nature of our work has changed or we've been laid off or we've been furloughed or our industry has been shaken to its core. There's so much that's happened this year. So I want to celebrate that we are resilient and we are strong and we're also getting really clear on what matters most to us. Like, what do we not want to bring forward from the pre-COVID days into the post-COVID days? And what do we want to create? What do we want our lives to look like? What do we want the world to look like that we can all elevate and contribute to? So I can't think of a better way to end this first year. Actually, it's been a half a year. This podcast only started in August. I'm I'm so excited, right? So we're, what is that? August, September, October, November, December. We're five months into this puppy and I'm, I'm jamming on it. This is my favorite thing. I tell you guys that all the time and I love spending this time with you. So here's the thing. I cannot think of a better way to bring the interview episodes to a close than with this conversation with the amazing human and designer, Aisha Biersel. And the reason I say that is because Aisha may not be a household name. Some of you might know her products, but not know her. I'm a total architectural and design, architecture and design geek, which I confessed to her the first time I met her. And I say again in this, in this conversation. And so I have followed her for a long time. She's Turkish born too, which I think is the first time I'd heard of her when I was living in Istanbul. That was way back in 96 to 2000. Yes, I'm totally dating myself. And I've just followed her work. She's worked for some really incredible brands. She's an industrial designer who's pretty much made her name in New York City. 
And she has done some really innovative product designs for companies from Toto, the bathroom company. She actually became famous and kind of known for, known as the queen of toilets and really innovative office design work for Herman Miller. And really, I mean, I mean, so many brands I can, I can name more for you, Renault and Staples and GE and Ikea and Amazon and Colgate Palmolive. Like she has done so many, she's, she's had an imprint on so many of the brands that we know and we love. And so you might not have even known that she was like the, the brilliant design brain and, and influencer behind these innovative products in our lives. Some of her work is actually in the permanent collection at the Museum of Modern Art at MoMA in New York City. And how fucking cool is that? So here's the thing. You're probably like, wait, okay, so why is this really important for us to be <laughs> hanging on at the end of the year, listening to this conversation with a product designer, because here's the really cool thing. She talks about this moment in her life, and I'm not going to spoil it, but this moment in her life where things really started to fall apart, there was an economic recession, and she had to completely rethink her business. Sound familiar? Kind of like right now for so many of us. And she decided to really dissect what are her design principles and what if she applied those to her own life? What would that look like? And she suddenly realized that she had something on her. She had something that like this could be applied to the biggest projects that any of us will ever face, which are our lives. So she has these design principles. So she started doing workshops around them and people love them. So the design, design the life you love workshops became design the life you love book and has really had many, many incarnations since then. And I won't, I won't spoil it and talk about where it's gone, but it's so amazing what she's creating. She's really helping us to deconstruct the elements of our lives, to think about them differently and get new perspective, and then to reconstruct them. She kind of talks us through those design principles and some of what that looked like in her life. And our conversation goes in so many fun directions. And I have to tell you, I mean, I've loved her work and I've loved everything she's stood for. But I didn't even realize until this conversation how many parallels there are in our lives and in our work so much so that at the very end, she was like, we need to collaborate. Can you imagine? You guys listen to this and tell me what you think. Give me some feedback. But design the life you love times sabbatical sounds like a total win and like it needs to come to life in 2021. So you've got to listen to learn more about what design the life you love means and how you can do that. But I hope, I hope you guys get from this some really good, a great framework and some really good nuggets to take into how you're thinking about what you want to create and the life you want to design in 2021 and beyond. This is one of those, you know, yeah, we've 
Some of us have hit rock bottom this year. Some of us have been forced to rethink everything. And this is a way to start coming out of that and think differently about what we want to create. And she gives us such a cool way to do it. I just love to dig inside and understand how her design brain works. And I'm so glad that her life events brought her to this place, sharing that perspective with us. And, you know, I feel really honored because she's somebody who's really been at the top of her game for a long, long time and is now bringing it into all kinds of new spaces. She's out of products and into designing lives and, and designing, well, many other things. And she's actually working on a new book. So you have to listen to the end to hear about that one. But it's so cool. I mean, she's got, like I said, she has been a recognized thinker. She's been recognized by Fast Company, one of my favorite magazines, as one of the most creative people in business. I mean, like I said, her work is in MoMA and on and on. She's worked for so many of those iconic brands that I mentioned. So this woman knows what she's doing and she's helping us kind of take a take a framework and apply it to our own lives. So I'm going to leave it at that. But I feel like this this feels like a very cool way to end 2020. Hopefully really good fodder for you as you go forward. But you guys, again, we made it. We're at the end. And I'm choosing one of her principles is optimism. And I'm choosing to be very optimistic. I think there's hope with vaccines on the horizon and all these things that we can create a really effing amazing year in 2021. And we can do it together, supporting each other and rebelling for lives we love. So with that, let's dig into the conversation with Aisha. Enjoy. Before we begin, I want to share an offering from my soul to yours If you've achieved traditional success only to realize that you're living someone else's dream, then this will start you on a profound journey toward becoming chief soul officer of your own life, just like I did. I'm gifting you a free chapter from my book, Soulbatical, A Corporate Rebel's Guide to Finding Your Best Life. It's called Liberating from the Shackles of Should. And if you're ready to, then visit soulbatical.com to download it for free. That's S-O-U-L-B-B-A-T-I-C-A-L dot com. Warning, side effects include intense joy and fulfillment. Hey, Aisha, it's so good to talk to you again, and I'm honored that you're coming to have a conversation with me on Rebel Souls. Welcome. Shelly, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, you have been, I told you this in our first conversation, we were introduced through a mutual friend, Marcus Leto, and you and Marcus had done some work in the past. Marcus and I have been friends for, oh God, over a quarter of a century, probably over 25 years since I lived in Istanbul from what, 96 to 2000. So I'm dating myself. It was a long time ago. But I remember he mentioned that he had worked with you. And I said, I have always, like, I'm a secret, maybe a not so secret architecture and design geek. It's the stuff I freak out on. I live in an old garment factory and I love design stuff. And so you're somebody who's been on my radar for a long time. And so I was so honored to get the introduction and that you said yes to having this conversation because I really, really admire your work and I'm excited to dive into it. Thank you. And thank you, Marcus, for bringing us together. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. You and I hit it off. It just was meant to be. 
Exactly. And you know what? None of this is a coincidence, right? This is the way the universe goes. And then I was able to introduce you and Chip Conley to talk about some stuff in sort of the aging space that we'll get into later. I mean, this is how it works, right? Like-minded souls are, are finding each other and we're furthering good work in the world. So you know that we're going to have an amazing conversation and it's the beginning of a lifelong friendship. And I start every conversation with the same question. I want to know, what are you rebelling for? So I love thinking about myself as a rebel, and I'm rebelling for everyone to design the life they love, so to design an original life for themselves. Mm. How about that? Yeah, I love it. And this is what I, I told you earlier. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to get into because I'm so intrigued by your journey to get to this place where you're rebelling, you know, for people designing the life they love because it's a fascinating journey. You are widely recognized. And if I could say so, like kind of a celebrity in the design space because you've done amazing work in the like for Herman Miller and for Noel and for Toto and for all these really big brands. And now you're doing a completely different kind of design work. And you're talking about designing lives and businesses and experiences that people love. So can we unpack that a little bit? Like what led you to go from being this kind of, you know, recognized designer, you've been celebrated as, you know, fast one of fast companies, most creative people in business, widely recognized for your industrial design talents. What was the pivot to helping people design the life they love? So how did Aisha, who grew up in Turkey as this girl who listened to her parents, turn into a design rebel? Yeah, good question. <gasps> yes, an amazing I mean, reframe. Thank you for that. <laughs> also because, I mean, you've lived in Turkey, so you know how Turkish families work, right? And and, and very... even more than that, Aisha, I, my ex-husband, I did, I ended up marrying a Turk. I think I mentioned that to you in our first conversation. He was right. from Izmir, which is your hometown, right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And we're, you know, we were brought, brought up, even though I grew up in a family that was very, uh, my parents really believed in me and in a way, they were very feminist in their approach. And they taught me to be this strong, independent young woman. But at the same time, like, you're supposed to listen to us, you know? <laughs> yeah. Until I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait. Okay, wait. Let's just dig into that a little bit. So, how did you even get into design in the first place? So, from that, I'm, I'm guessing your parents weren't like they were supporting you as the strong, independent woman, but they probably weren't saying go do the design thing. So, where did that, like your love of design and how you stepped into design, like where did that come from? Was that your first rebellious act? Kind of. So, <laughs> I come from a family of lawyers and it's, you know, my dad, my uncle, my, my aunts from both sides of the family. So my great uncle, that was, I think, my path based on like what the family had been doing, but I love to draw and I thought I can't be a lawyer and like draw and create. So then my first kind of rebellion was I want to be an architect. And then a family friend came to tea 
and then taught me about industrial design for the first time. And I fell in love with the human scale of design. And I thought, oh, no, actually, I want to be an industrial designer. And it so happened that in Turkey at Middle East Technical University at OTTÜ, they had just started this department, industrial design, and it hadn't even given any graduates yet. I was the third year kind of oh, wow. uh, class, and that's how I became an industrial designer. When you say you fell in love with human scale design, I'm so curious, like, what does that mean to you? Like, what? Did, yeah, I'm just curious. What's a good example of like, oh, that's the thing that was there a particular design, a particular product, a particular story yeah. around that for you? Let me show it to you exactly <gasps> like it was yes. shown to me. So it was, yes. um, so we were having tea and this family friend who was an urban designer said to me, do you know about product design, industrial design? I was like, no. And I was like 15 at the time. He said, look at this teacup. And it was kind of like a teacup that my, this teacup looks like a teacup that my mother might have had. And he said, look, you see how the edge is curved? It's so that it fits in our lips better and that mm -hmm. it has this kind of handle so that we can hold hot liquid in our hands without burning ourselves. And then it has this saucer so that, and I actually spilled my tea, you can see, so that if you spill your, your tea, you don't ruin your mother's tablecloth. This is like somebody designed this. This is industrial design. And that's where I fell in love with the human scale because everything related to us, like to our lips, our hands, my mother's tablecloth. And that felt like so human and humanistic to me. I love that. That's so powerful. And I love that you have like your traditional China. I always, I always associate like tea drinking with my time and my experience in Turkey. It's so much a part of socializing and connecting with people. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay, so take us forward in the story. So, okay, now you become this industrial designer. You're one of the first three graduating classes from Middle Eastern Technical University. And that took you, did that take you to New York? Am I right in that? So that took me to New York in the sense that I had this internal drive, this belief that I'm going to live in New York. And Shelly, if you ask me why, I don't know. I just knew it. Like you sometimes know these things, right? Yeah. So when I graduated, I told my parents, well, now I want to go to New York and do my master's. And they looked at me, they were like, what? You're only 20 years old. Like we don't think New York is like the right place. And I thought to myself, okay, I need to get myself to New York. So then I applied for a Fulbright scholarship and got it. And wow. so I told my parents, by the way, I am going to New York. <laughs> I got the scholarship and they were like, I think they were so proud and sad at the same time. It was and now I can totally relate to it because now I have kids and I know how that feels like to let your child go all the way you know, to the other side of the world. And at the time, New York was really known as, it, it was a dangerous place, you know? So when I landed here and went to go to Pratt Institute, so that was, that was my trajectory from Izmir to Ankara to New York. I love it. So New York is a place that's really close to my heart. I lived there for four years, actually right after I moved from Istanbul to New York City. And I have a little confession to make. So I forgot that you had gone to Pratt. And by the way, Fulbright Scholarship, amazing. 
And when I, so I went to New York to work for AOL that became AOL Time Warner. And I was in a big strategy job there. And I lasted for about three and a half years. And then I was just like, this is not the place for me. I I was starting to reconsider everything in my life. And one of the things I lived in Fort Greene, Brooklyn at the time, right around the corner from Pratt. And one of the things I started looking into was taking architecture and design courses at Pratt. Ultimately, I didn't go in that direction, but like I could feel that energy just being in that space. And I was in love with that school. So that's my little... That's my little common connection secret to share with you. <laughs> I, I feel like we had all these almost met each other kind of possibilities, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So I love your story. Talk about, so then you went on to do like all of this incredible design work for these really big brands, you know, some of which I named earlier, you became this kind of, you, you became like the face of industrial design in a lot of ways, really known for, especially what did they call you? Were you called like the queen of toilets or something like that? <laughs> Shelly, you've really done your research well. I I was known as the queen of toilets for a while, and I took that as a compliment. When I designed toilet seat for Toto, and, uh, you know, Toto is the world's number one manufacturer of bathroom products, and they were planning their entry into the American market. And I got to design their the product kind of like to put them on the map in the States with an innovative and useful product. And that, that was the um, Toto Washlet, which is this, it's known unofficially, it's known as the world's most comfortable toilet seat because I designed it like a chair with a hole in it. And by the way, it also has a bidet function. So it, uh, it has a little shower inside it. And so it was one of the first products of its kind, of that kind, to come into the American market. I I love it. And as I'm a huge fan of Toto Toilets. And I've seen like the ultimate in Toto Toilets as well, like in traveling to Japan and the ones that have like so many functions, you're like, I don't even know which button to push and what's going to happen. <laughs> but I sort of have fallen in love with their products and I know exactly the one that you designed. Yeah, so that was I, a lot of fun. Not, not everybody gets to design toilet seats. And so I... I I really loved that project. And I lived in Japan for like a year designing for them and then came back to the States with the product. So that was very much a part of my formation. I used to call that my military service because, I mean, I love Japan to bits. And but at the time I was this young woman living in Japan and being a young woman at the time, a designer and a foreigner it was like the trifecta of difficulties, you know? So that that was a very good training for me. I love that. I love that. So then you go on to, you ultimately met your husband through your design work too, didn't you? I did through a project, a concept car that I designed for Renault, the French automobile manufacturer. Wow. And that's become a design partnership. So it's not only a life partnership, it's also a design partnership, right? It is a design partnership. So after Toto, I was introduced to Herman Miller, which was amazing. And then I'm such a Herman Miller geek. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So 20 years later, I mean, we've been collaborating for 20 years now and it's just been amazing. But part of the reason that the people at Herman Miller 
wanted to work with me was because they felt like, oh, if like this woman can design innovative toilet seats for Toto and work with their engineers and convince them of their idea of her ideas, what she can do for us and how she can work with our engineers. And, and at the time, I didn't really have any experience in designing offices and they saw that as a plus. And so that that's like, I love that because that goes to show you mo most companies look for like, oh, has she done this before? Herman Miller's approach was, we actually like that she knows nothing about our business. So she's going to think about it from kind of from scratch and have an outsider's perspective. And so that, that was my beginning with Herman Miller. I love that. Can I just say, so I was hired at Harley for exactly the same reason. The fact that I had no automotive and no motorcycling experience, and I wasn't even a rider when I first went to the company, they wanted all of that fresh perspective and my global experience and the other skills and insights that I could bring to the table. So what a great reminder to all of us that it's not necessarily about this very linear path. It's about bringing this fresh perspective perspective and kind of mixing and mashing these ideas with the talents that you bring to the table. And you're a great, you're a great example of that. Cause you've yes. not, you've not, not only did it with Herman Miller and other brands, now you're doing it in a completely different kind of quote unquote design space, right? In a completely different design space. And that's actually, so if we go, I like this because we're kind of like moving chronologically through my yeah. life. Yeah. So Herman Miller and with Herman Miller, I really got lucky. I feel like I was at the right place at the right time. It was the beginning of, you know, 2000s and there was a lot of energy and optimism in the world. And I got to design an office system that was quite innovative. Really, it turned cubicles on its head mm -hmm. and, and it was called Resolve. And, and not a lot of designers, again, get to design office systems. And so that I love doing that. It was complex. It was, it was a system. I love thinking in systems. So I really learned how to do that well. And then as Resolve came out, and like you were mentioning, like it made a big splash and I became the face of this office system. I was connected to Renault and I really wanted to work with them because I felt like they were doing some innovate really innovative products in the automobile space and so and one thing led to another and they were really interested in like how i had thought about work environments and they were like could you design an automobile like an automobile interior like you've designed an office system for herman hmm. miller and i was like I would love to, because I know nothing about automobiles, kind of like you at Harvey and motorcycles. I was like, yeah, I know how to drive a stick shift, but I don't know designing an automobile is quite a different thing. And so I asked them, you know, I need somebody from your side to mentor me. And that that's the BB story. They were like, oh, we know exactly. We're going to send you BB sec and you're going to love him. And they told Bibi the same thing, apparently. They told Bibi, you're going to love Aisha. You're going to New York. And that's, you know, that's what happened. We were like, okay. <laughs> and now we love each other. <laughs> we will fall in love. You know, it's um, so that, you know, we worked together and we loved working together. And it was almost love at first sight. And then we had to figure out, like, what do we do? Do we 
become partners and work in New York together? Or do we, you know, do I move to Paris and then New York won? And that was the beginning of Beer Cell Plus Sec. And so you were asking me, Shelly, how that all led to design the life you love. <laughs> so here we are, like we had two kids. Bibi had a son who was 11 at the time. They came to New York together and suddenly like my life went kind of on overdrive. We yeah. had three kids. We had these great clients together, you know, having a lot of fun, working like crazy and parenting like crazy. And then boom, the economy crashed. So <laughs> 2008, do you remember? I don't know where oh. you were then, but I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was actually in, I was here in Chicago because I moved back New York City to Chicago in 2004. So yes, I was here in Chicago working for a big Omnicom media group, actually a big media agency kind of holding company. Yeah. And going through a very, very not so great divorce. <laughs> so I remember it well. <laughs> so not, tell us not, about, yeah, go ahead. It was <laughs> for you and I, it was difficult for maybe different reasons. For yeah. me, it was, you know, I thought you know, the economy is crashing, but nothing can touch us because you know, we're doing such great work. Yay. So <laughs> almost all our clients took their work in-house and I had a rude awakening that, you know, you can be really good at what you do, but there are outside forces that can shape your life and, you know, there's not much you can do about it. And so I found myself and we found ourselves with almost no clients. And it really made sense from their perspective. Like they were being conservative fiscally conservative. And they were like, sorry, I say, you know, we'll, we'll come back. We're going to work together, but right now we need to like do things in house. And, and I really felt responsible because I had uprooted BB from yeah. a great position at Renault. Like he was an award-winning automobile designer. I had kind of bewitched him with the idea of like, come like we let's work in New York. Let's be partners. And, and so at first I was like, okay, well, I'll find a job, you know? So I started, you know, going to headhunters and talking to them about like, for sure you can find me something to do. And they were like, no, because they basically told me, Aisha, you've never worked in an office before. Mm. So you don't know what corporate life is like. I'm like, but I have designed office systems. They're like, no, that doesn't work here. <laughs> that doesn't count. Thank you. <laughs> that doesn't count. And I couldn't believe it. And so I, it was really a difficult, difficult moment where I felt responsible. I felt like I just didn't know what to do with myself. And in the sense of purpose, like I have so much to offer, like, don't you see? And so what happened is the thing that kind of saved me was Leah Kaplan, who's one of my oldest friends and also oldest collaborators. She she could see the situation that I was in. And she was like, Aisha, like you're a designer. You always talk about turning challenges into opportunities. So this is your challenge. And your opportunity is you have all this time in your hands. Why don't you use that time to think about how you think? Because you think differently. And that was like a lifeline for me. And I thought, oh my God, somebody 
at least one person still believes in me and I trust this person. And Shelley, I was reading this book the other day, John Waters, really funny book. The I have to look at the title, the something of, it's kind of like his perspective on, on life from an, as an elder person. Got and, it. Got it. and one of the things he talked about is like in life, it's not enough to believe in yourself. You need one other person and that other person cannot be your mom. And for me, that other person was Leia, you know, and I thought, okay, if Leia believes in me, so I took that as an invitation to think about how I think and kind of go into this journey inside my own head. How do I think? How do I go from what I know today to what I can imagine for tomorrow? And that that was the beginning of, I didn't realize it, but that was the beginning of designing my life, you know, applying design process to my own life. And then from that, developing this methodology that I ended up calling deconstruction, reconstruction, breaking a challenge into its pieces, looking at it from different perspectives, putting it back together and then giving it form. And once I had that, you know, that, that was a turning point for me. So I, I love that. And I cannot help but think right now, you and I are having this conversation in the midst of a global pandemic and how many people are needing to do this with their lives right now for a variety of reasons. Maybe they've been laid off. They've been furloughed. They're in an industry that's been heavily impacted. It's radically changing people's lives. And I think it's sometimes hard to move through that, right? Probably what you were initially going through before Leia said, hey, there's another way to think about this. So I'm actually, uh, it's like, I was already so, so grateful to be having this conversation. And now I'm realizing how important it is right in this very moment. Cause I've heard you say at the beginning of some of your talks, like, is there any project bigger than your life? right? It's the biggest project we have. And you took it on for yourself as kind of the model to say, well, wait, does this work? So you've designed your life and now you're helping others. Can you take us through, like, what did you do for yourself and how did you break down your design process into its component parts? And what does that look like for anyone who's listening to this, who's in our rebel community, who's like, yeah, you know what? I want to design the life I love. Maybe I'm realizing before COVID things weren't so great, or maybe I'm facing a completely different future because I don't have a future in the industry that I've been trained in for so long. So what does that look like? So th this could be everyone's opportunity to rebel together against COVID and say, I'm going to use this moment to design my life because designing your life is about having agency, giving yourself permission to say, this is my life. I own it and I'm, I can think about it differently and really create a roadmap for myself and in a way kind of approach the uncertainty through creativity. You know, so that, that's the, the, and that's kind of, I didn't quite know it, but that's what I was doing in yeah. approaching the un uncertainty in my own life through creativity, the certainty that creatively you can solve problems, that I could solve this problem if I designed my way out of it. And the way that it came about is because, you know, I, just like you said, I had this inner conviction that life, our life is our biggest project. 
but I had never tried designing it. <laughs> I just knew that it life is a design project because it has all kinds of challenges and things that you want to do and you need to do that oppose each other all the time. And, and you're not alone in it. You know, there are different stakeholders and you have to kind of like manage all of that complexity. And so once I had my design process, deconstruction, reconstruction, I thought to myself, hey, it would be an interesting proof point to see if I could apply this process to my life and see if the process holds. And so that it really started as an experiment. And I was lucky because I had a friend, Shirley Moulton, who around the time, the same time had started Academy of Life, which is mm -hmm. about learning lessons you don't learn at school. And she said, oh, Aisha, that really sounds like an interesting idea. Why don't you do a workshop for me? And I had never done a workshop before. So I thought to myself, okay, how does that, you know, how does that one, how does one do that? And then I had to kind of like try it myself. So created like these exercises and I would just do them myself at home, you know, deconstruct your life. What's it made up of? What are the basic building blocks of those things? And then as I started doing that, I started having insights and started seeing my life differently. And I thought, okay, well, when in my work with Herman Miller, I apply metaphors to think differently about a problem. So what's the metaphor of my life? And, you know, oh, so, you know, my life is a tree. So that makes me think about like, if I'm a tree, what's my fruit? You know, what's my, what are other trees? So anyways, it just kind of organically grew like that until I did a workshop and people liked it. And people were drawn to this idea that you can design your life. And it grew, one thing led to another, it grew word of, word of mouth, but that, that's really the, the origin story. Well, and it became a book as well. So you not only do workshops, but it became a book. And now there, yeah, for those of you watching video, there's the book. It's sort of like part book, part journal, part interactive yeah. guide, right? Yeah. And it's very visual, you know, everything. Talk about well, metaphors. it's you. Metaphor of, page. <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah. There's your tree. That's so funny. I was like, of course, because I love how every time I've seen you speak, you always have like your sketchings, your drawings as a way to help communicate some of the points. I would I would love if you'd be willing to go through it. I, I think I've seen and tell me if this is off base. I think your book goes through this, but you have like five different kind of principles. Like when you started to reverse engineer, or unpack your design process and said, what if I apply this? to my life. You had five different principles that totally resonated with me and I thought would be really fun to bring bring the, you know, our fellow rebels through cuz I have once I have optimism. I'll say these out loud and you tell me if these are right and then I'd love to have you talk through them. Optimism, empathy, thinking holistically, collaboration, yes. and open mind. Are those the five? You nailed it. You you're so amazing. Shelley. I'm cheat I'm like cheating because I did write those down, but I couldn't memorize them. But I'm like, this is how drawn into your work I am. Like I've I've been exposed to it over time, but then I kind of wrote down the things that I remembered. And I'm like, well, maybe these will come up in conversation. But this, so you know, so the rebel four, so you're speaking your version, like you and I, this is another parallel in our lives. We are rebelling for people living their best lives. And you call it designing 
creating the life you love. I call it sabbatical, which stands for rebelling for who you are, what you want, and the impact you want to have in the world i.e. a life you love. So it's so exactly. cool how I see our worlds dovetailing. So I saw those, read those principles or heard you talk about those principles. And I was like, oh man, it's so aligned with how I think, but I don't come at it from the designer's perspective. So I'd love you to just give us a little bit of texture around what each one of those principles means to you and how we can apply them to our lives. I would love to. So the Let's start with empathy. Empathy is putting ourselves in other people's shoes. And when it comes to designing your life, you also need to have empathy for yourself. So almost kind of look at yourself and say, oh, I understand you. I feel your challenges and I'm going to do something about it. So having empathy for yourself is in a way also giving yourself permission to design your life. And then optimism is really key because as a designer, no matter how hard the problem, you want to have the optimism that you're going to come up with a better solution. And that optimism drives our energy. And I think we all know this. When you think about anything in terms of problems, constraints, challenges, that kind of brings your energy down and you find yourself kind of overwhelmed with all the the challenges that are going on. In this moment, like you said, COVID is an excellent example. Like if we let COVID bring us down with all the global problems, individual problems, you know, societal problems, we can't get out of bed. You know, it's so depressing. So you have yeah. to have the positive attitude, the optimism of yes and you know, let me think about what I can do about this. How can I use this for a moment of change, of transformation, right? So that's the I optimism. I love that. And you by the way- something similar. Well, I do. I Well, I was just going to react to the phrase, yes, and, because I come from the school of improv. I did improv here at Second City many, many, many years ago here in Chicago. And so that language, like collaboration and building on and the I can open mind mentality, which, which, you know, is, is really in sync with all the things you're talking about is very much how, how I think and what I encourage, because it's all about mindset if we approach it from, I want to, I get to, I can, we're going to look at things very differently than if we say, I should, I can't, I won't. So language matters. So I love, I love that optimism piece. So then the third principle is thinking holistically, which is a different way of saying, seeing the big picture. And so that means that you just need to go like a bird and look at yourself from the outside and see what's your big picture, you know, your life, your work, the society you live in, because the big picture then allows you to have more dots to connect. So that that's really the, to be expansive in that way. The collaboration part that you just mentioned is because, you know, right now our problems are too big for one person just for me to solve. So we need collaboration to be able to build on each other's ideas. And I find, I don't know, I mean, just look look at you and I collaborating, right? I found that since COVID, one of the best things that has happened that's to come out of this moment is the number of 
collaborations and the acceleration of collaborations happening. Like we are not as shy as we used to be about asking each other for help and yeah. can we do this thing together? And people are much more open to that. Don't, don't you find it? Oh, a hundred percent. I think we've realized that we are more deeply connected than we ever really acknowledged. And I've, I've found a lot of solace and that's where a lot of my optimism comes from. We're deeply connected. We're supporting each other. And yeah, we're kind of collaborating to build a better future. It really is that. So in design, in a way, is a collaborative discipline. Most people think, oh, you know, design is something you do in the individually. And actually, industrial design is about working with a manufacturer. So I cannot design anything if I didn't have a manufacturer to manufacture my products. And that, that collaboration means that I'm going to work with researchers and engineers and marketing people and salespeople. And that's what makes industrial design so interesting. And in a very similar way, when we design our lives, we already have collaborators in our life, you know, our family members, our friends, our colleagues at work, our mentors, our mentees. And it's really seeing the inherent collaboration opportunities in all these relationships and knowing to, to, to say, I need help. You know, <laughs> because when you say I need help, you're also opening the door to them to come to you for help. And that creates this give and take and it becomes a beautiful circle. So that that's the collaboration part. And I, I really like to all your listeners, I I advocate that, that, you know, go out, whatever you're you're kind of feeling like I'm challenged with this thing. Just think about who could you talk to about that? I love that. Who, who can you talk to? And I love like the, the, the reflection that your friend Leah gave you, like ask people like, you know, what's missing from the room when I leave? What do I uniquely bring to our work together or, you know, our conversations? Learn more about yourself that might inform this design going forward as well. I think asking for help is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. That's one of the things that I talk a lot about in my work as well. I love that. And it totally dovetails, Shelly, into one thing that I started doing recently since COVID, actually, which is to ask people about their superpowers, <laughs> but together with that, about their kryptonite. And the kryptonite piece is something that I learned from one of my friends, Mickey McManus, who does these this amazing work about superheroes. And he kind of makes models of his friends as superheroes and and ask that everyone around that person for what are the superpowers of this person but as well as what's their kryptonite and kind of that stuck with me because i thought you know we all have superpowers but we also all have our kryptonites our achilles heel things that we don't, you know, we're not so good at. And recognizing both, I think, helps us really be intentional about using our superpowers. And then when we have our kryptonite to say, okay, I recognize you, you're there, but I'm not going to spend much time with you and kind of, I, I want to be in my superpower, my strength side, you know? And so that I'm so yeah. glad you, you bring that out. 
I, okay. I have to ask you this question. You're, you're exactly right. Like where we put our attention, that's, that's where the energy goes, right? So it's a choice. What, what do I want to feed? Do I want to feed my superpower? Or do I want to feed my kryptonite? We have that choice in every moment. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's really important to be aware of that. But I'm super curious. I'm assuming Mickey created a superhero for you. What was your um, superhero? Or- <laughs> not yet, Shelly. Oh, uh, Mickey. I'm, this is a message for Mickey. If you're listening, and I'm going to send this podcast to Mickey and see if he listens to it. Mickey, what are you waiting for? <laughs> I love it. Mickey, hello. I'm going to reinforce that. What are you waiting for? Okay, let's also say out loud, what are your superpowers and what is your kryptonite? I'm super curious. So my superpowers are, I think, breaking things apart and rebuilding them. So my process of deconstruction, reconstruction is my superpower and I can deconstruct, reconstruct anything. And just as something that we could talk about. Most recently, I deconstructed racism and reconstructed Ooh. love, which was my the hardest challenge I've ever had. But that kind of gave me a sense of like, yes, I know how to do this. And, and I've like proven it to myself again and again. Now, my kryptonite is self-doubt and fear. And so no matter how confident I am, I still can't help getting up in the morning and feel like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to to do that today. So there's always this internal talk of like, just calm down and, you know, do what you know, (laughs) you know, you can do this. And it's just crazy that... I know that one well. We share we share that kryptonite. That's very real. It's like I'm on a mission to liberate a billion souls. I feel like I'm making progress. And then I wake up in the morning, I'm like, does it really matter to anyone? Like, am I making a difference at all? I'm like, yes, I'm making a difference. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that's really what it's about, right? It's like those tiny steps. Like we don't have to eat the whole elephant, just like make little tiny bits of progress at a time and leverage our superpowers. Exactly. And I'm, I'm really an advocate for working hard. And I'm, you know, my daughters are 15 and 16. And I hope they see that in me. Because what I've learned is, you never know until you do it, you, you know, until you really put your bottom on the chair, yeah. and, kind of <laughs> and spend the time. Because the ideas don't just kind of formulate themselves in your mind and pop up, you know, that that's a myth. And often, I mean, just the other day, I was going through that of like, every morning I try to write. So I'm working on my second book and I try to write every morning for like an hour. And sometimes I don't see anything happening. I'm like, I don't move the dial. And I'm like, just like you said, is there meaning to this? You know, why am I doing this? And then the other day, boom, I had an insight. And I realized it just suddenly like all started gelling and taking a different direction. And I was like, oh, now I get it. Like this is what this was supposed to be. And then- And you had to keep showing up for it in order to get that epiphany and get that insight. I mean, that's so much of it is like, yeah, you've got to keep showing up and being present to it and it's going to feel hard and then you're going to have the aha. I love that. Yeah. And I feel like we all know this and yet it's so hard, you know, and one of my mentors is Marshall Goldsmith 
And he, he always talks about like, what does he say? It's simple, but it's not easy. Yes. Yeah. And so then, um, Shelly, there's a little, we have our fifth principle and that's an open mind. So I just want to, you know, not forget that. And no, no, please. um, The, the, and the open mind is being open to ideas and, and asking what if questions, knowing that sometimes the best answers come from the worst places. Sometimes the answers come from um, failures. In my case, mm. you know, I wouldn't be talking to you today. I would, we wouldn't be talking about design the life you love or the book if it hadn't been for 2008 and like everything hitting rock bottom. And of course, when you're inside it, like we're now inside of COVID, it's really hard to have that perspective, but I'm just glad that I had the opportunity to see it happen one time, which gives me so much more kind of courage and perspective in this moment of like, okay, this is really hard, but somehow I don't quite know how there is an opportunity in it. Yeah. I love that you brought up courage because the two things I wrote down around open mind that I think I've heard you talk about are beginner's mindset. So I love that. Like, what if get curious, pretend you've never, you know, you've never experienced this before or been through this before. How do you look at it from a different perspective? Like beginner's mind is just showing up, you know, every day, just getting curious, not, not knowing and not needing to know, right. A right answer. And the other piece I wrote down was courage. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I think what stops so many of us in our tracks from designing the life we love is fear. You talked about it as one of your kryptonites. For sure it is. And and I talk a lot about from my journey, I realize that fear is never going to go away. We have to learn to convert fear into fuel to help get us through this thing to the other side. And that feels like what open, like the spirit of what you mean by open mind. Does that resonate? It totally resonates. And I find that some of my heroes, people that I admire, the more I get to know them, like Marshall Goldsmith being one example, seeing them in action and realizing that they're not super, they're not super people. You know, they, they are super, but they are not Superman or Superwoman. And they, they show that courage, you know, and they, they do have, like, I, I think that the more successful people are, the more they they become embody they embody beginner's mind mm. and they talk about that and so when i was younger i used to think oh you know i i need to know everything and the more i live the more i realize i know nothing and that's so great you know yeah <laughs> i have so much to learn you know what? I trained with Brene Brown for her, around her Dare to Lead stuff last year. It was September of 2019. All of us were together with her and it was a really profound experience. And I'll never forget there was one moment in the training where this idea was solidified that saying, I don't know, is actually a superpower. And I was like, that's 
it. And yet in corporate culture, especially saying, I don't know, has been taught like, oh my God, no, once you're in the senior ranks and you're the person and you're the chief, whatever, you never don't know the answer. And it's like, actually more powerful leadership is not knowing the answer, admitting you don't know, and then getting curious. And I just thought that was so beautiful. I'm like, man, if more of the world said, I don't know, and recognize it as a superpower, I think we'd be in a very different place. And what if we could practice that more often? I couldn't agree with you more. uh... Yeah, I just think it's, it's so it's so beautiful. And I do love for those of you who don't know, I mean, Marshall Goldsmith is somebody whose whose work I, I admire so deeply. So Marshall Goldsmith is probably considered like the number one executive coach. He's like the father of executive coaches. And he's written many New York Times bestsellers, but the the one that's always resonated with me is what got you here won't get you there. That's one that he's really well known for. One of the books that I have behind me. Yes. I love it. That's on my favorite bookshelf that I totally want to get put in my house. (laughs) By the way, did you design that bookshelf? I forgot to ask you. No, I, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. I'll remember in a moment who designed it. Yeah. Yeah. Or when, if you don't remember while we're recording, shoot me a note because I'm definitely, I think I'm going to get that to like we were talking about earlier to put in my, in my background. So I love like, here's so much of Ron, Ron, sorry. Oh, it's okay. No, go ahead. Ron Ron Arad for cartel. Okay. Okay. Cartel. We'll put that in the show notes. Just to. No, 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 no. It's, this is good. This is good. And I want, I mean, there are other design geeks who are listening to and watching this. Like maybe this is a way, like for those of you listening, go check us out on YouTube, check out the video because you're going to have to see Aisha's dress and her chair and her bookshelf and her necklace. And just like her all around, you're like my design and fashion icon. I just have to say that out loud. (laughs) Thank you. I think it's a mutual admiration society right here. Thank you. All right. So let's talk about in our remaining time. I love that. Okay. So not only like you had this moment that a lot of people are experiencing right now, where it's just like, oh my God, the world as I knew it has ended. I'm feeling like I'm hitting rock bottom. I have no idea what the way forward looks like. So you create this process. You design a life you love. Now you're teaching it to other people. So your workshops have taken off and it's become a book and it's become a thing. And by the way, you mentioned a second book. Are you at a place where you can tell us what you're writing about? Or is that still like top secret? No, I could absolutely. I think it's good for me to talk about it because if I make it public, I really will need to finish it. So it's about designing a long life. Oh, this leads into what I wanted to talk to you about. Okay, good. Yes. Perfect (laughs) bridge. I'm so glad I asked that because I'm like, so curious what you're working on because I knew. So let's talk about how design the life, design a life you love has become design a business you love, design an experience you love. Like you have now taken this beautifully into so many different spaces. And when you and I talked, you were like, Shelly, I'm now doing design the aging you love. And you're working on all these really cool kind of later in life, 60 plus, like a market that not enough people are really focused on. So can you talk about what that looks like in the work that you're doing? Yes, and I could announce publicly for the first time that I am now the um, chief design officer for Alive Ventures. 
And Alive Ventures is a new venture studio that's founded to create companies to help older adults live, love, and work better. So I'm really excited about this. It's so cool. It's so, so cool. And by the way, congratulations. That's awesome. So this is what you're going to be spending the majority of your time on that in the book, of course, the book is picking up on that work. It sounds like what I love is all my work seems to feed each other. So Mm -hmm. the um, design, the life you love led to design the life you love 65 plus or design the aging you love. And then we worked on a year and a half long project with the SCAN Foundation and did workshops across the states from East Coast, West Coast, down to the South, to Mississippi, working, co-designing long life and you know aging with older adults who are 65 plus. And then all of that research and insights then led to the formation of Alive Ventures and my counterpart at the SCAN Foundation, John Zapolsky, who is the VP of Innovations at the SCAN Foundation, is the founder of Alive. And then uh-huh. he invited me to continue our partnership in this new context. So that's how I became uh-huh. the um, chief design officer. And because we really feel that older people are amazing and but design for them sucks. So this is the the challenge that drives our our sense of purpose. Like how could we bring design to this amazing time in our life and these amazing people who are so sophisticated, so interesting, so curious, so full of energy and create the kinds of companies, the kinds of designs that they they deserve. And it's interesting because this long life this 20, 25 years that we now almost take for granted didn't exist before. I mean, Shelley, if you think of your grandparents, right? Mm. I mean, my grandparents, they passed away when in their seventies and that was considered, you know, old. It's like, oh, they, they had a long, good life. Now 70 is really young, you know? So we live until 80, 85, 90, and, and maybe longer. So it's almost like this time that didn't exist before has opened up. We have 20, 25 years, and why not have a good life? You know, why should, why should our kind of life decline just at 65? To the contrary, actually. Yeah. Amen to that. And you know, I'm a, I'm a huge supporter. And so I, I'm curious what kinds of projects, like what's an example of a project that you're tackling now as part of Alive Ventures? So we're just getting started. And okay. um, the four themes that emerge from our research is this notion that no matter what our age, we're same and yet different. And so this notion of same different is foundational to our thinking. And and this is what we learned from older people. And they're interested in love. They're interested in vitality, purpose, and friendship, just like we are. I was just going to say, like, that's how that resonates with me at 50 years old. Exactly. These these are the pillars of life. And, And no matter what our age, 
we want to be able to love. We want to have new friendships. We want to be able to get out of bed and feel like we have meaning and purpose in our life. It's just that how we can get to those things is a little bit different. And also the services and products that are out there don't really take us into consideration that, you know, Tinder, for example, when you think of Tinder as a dating app, and it's really based on physical representation of a, a person. And yet somebody who's older has so much more to offer than a physical representation. So how do you represent your years of experience, you know, or your sense of humor or your curiosity? And, and if we solved for those things when we're looking for love, wouldn't that really also benefit younger people? So yes. that younger people also could fall in love with other people who are curious, who are interested in having experiences together, creating experiences together, or you know, their sense of humor. So th that, and that just leads to this notion that even though Alive is very much around creating beautiful experiences for older people, we also believe that whatever we create for older people is going to benefit all of us. Yeah. And when you, you figure out you that, yeah. Here, and you know? yeah. And when you're figuring out that dating piece, please keep me in mind <laughs> because I want what you just described. It's like, it's not about the physical anymore. It's about the experiential and it's about, yeah, it's just about so many different aspects of life. So as I'm looking for a life partner, I'm like, that's it. What you just said. So yes. Yeah. So please keep spearheading and pioneering that work. There are well, so many can, of us. We can co-design together because we're <gasps> really, um, the whole approach of Alive Ventures is reaching out to entrepreneurs and creatives and making them aware there is this incredible space bursting with excitement, with amazing people, wouldn't you want to solve problems for them? And it's really an invitation to entrepreneurs and creatives that this is one of the new frontiers of design. And, you know, let's work together. Yeah. And it's the new frontier of our life. This is where I get so excited about the work you're doing in the world and the work Chip Conley's doing in the world with, you know, Modern Elder Academy and the making of a modern elder. And it's like, yeah, let's start spending more time talking about midlife and beyond and how we can make that like fucking awesome. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> let's make it fucking awesome. And I love when that it comes out. Yeah, exactly. Always, so, always. And, and There's really, it's, it's Go a ahead. cause that, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I get excited about it just thinking because it is a cause that's worth rebelling for. And if we don't do it, who, who's going to do it? And look, you're 50, I'm 55. And I look at these people and I'm like, I want to be like them. You know, they're, they're some of the wisest, funniest, most curious, least stressful people that I've met, people who are capable of loving themselves. And I'm like, oh my, you know, if I could learn that now, you know, and if I could teach that, that to my kids, you know, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't we all have a better life? So why yes. why do we need to wait until like 65 and later? <laughs> Let's do it now. So 
That's oh, the idea. That is such a perfect way to bring this all full circle and to bring us to a close. And I just have to say, I was having a conversation the other day about millennials and Gen Zers. And the one thing that I absolutely, not the only thing, but one of the things that I really admire about those generations is they are the why wait generation. They're not willing to put everything off until later in life. They're like, I want these lessons now. I want to live my life fully now. So yeah, let's keep passing it down the line. So it's like your daughters and all the generations, like we're all living this way and we're learning from our modern elders, right? Like how beautiful is that? So I'm excited that you're leading, leading that work that design the life you love has taken on so many lives and so many incarnations itself, because I think it's going to have a massive impact. I'm really glad you're rebelling for what you are. And it's funny, as I was thinking about our conversation today, I was, my, my Turkish is, you know, I, I, I ha- could do conversational, speak conversational Turkish at one point a long time ago when I was married and I was spending more time in Turkey. But I did think back and I was like, what was the meaning of Aisha? And when I looked it up, it said, happily living one. Is that an accurate translation? Because I thought, holy shit, that's it. Like there's no, there, it's not ironic and it's not coincidental that you've been led to this work and that you are a happily living one. Have you thought about that? I have. And I love that. I love, you know, serendipitous things like that. So I'm so glad you found it and brought it up. It really is, you know, I'm just living out my, my name and, yeah. uh, and you, you like this, but my name, Aisha in Turkish, when you write it backwards is Eşya and Eşya is product, you know, so <laughs> I've got wow. it both ways. You know, it's <laughs> Yeah, it was like you did it what the, for the first half of your life you do it one way, for the second half of your life you do it the other way and then they all blend together beautifully. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I remember when I first I'm going to end on this and just and then I'll ask you like where people can find you as they've now gotten sucked into your world in the way that I did. But I remember when I was first in Turkey and Shelly was a very foreign name and it wasn't really a comfortable name for so many people in the office I was working in to say I was in the advertising business at the time and so they nicknamed me Shalale, waterfall. <laughs> and so that oh, became like Shilani. it was oh, really beautiful. Cool. Yeah. So that became my nickname for the longest time when I was there. And I just owned it because now I think about my work in the world and like, I want it to be like a waterfall. I want it to be cascading. I want it to be going into the river and flowing downstream and impacting so many. And I've reflected on that a number of times and looking up your name made me remember that. And it was, it just, it gave me all the warm fuzzies. So Shelly, you just had a beautiful metaphor for your life. I love it. You can totally mine that, yeah. the, uh, the waterfall and the, yeah. I'm going to use your process and start digging into that. I love I love it. I just, it really like sunk in as I just said it out loud to you. So I'm glad it, it came up again. So I could talk to you forever. And I know this is, you know, only the <laughs> second of many, many, many conversations to come. So where yeah. can our other rebel, fellow rebel souls find you on the internet? Or where can they learn more about you and your work or follow you? So I'll send this to you, but in a nutshell, it's aishabirsel.com backslash newsletter. So it's my name, A-Y-S-E, be like boy, I-R-S-E-L.com backslash newsletter will 
connect us in the sense that you basically subscribe, your listeners could, could subscribe to our newsletter, but really through that, find out the, the things that the cool stuff that we're up to. And one of those things, the reason I mentioned the newsletter is because every Wednesday, just we had one yesterday, every Wednesday, we do a design the life you love virtual tea. And it's five o'clock in the afternoon, New York time. So this is something that we started with COVID when we were thinking like, what could we do for our community and reach out to people who want to design their lives or who are designing their lives and set up, you know, I love tea being Turkish, just like you said, <laughs> it's such a big part of my life. So we were like, how about we do a virtual tea and we do it every Wednesday, once a week. And we pick one tool from our toolbox and we do it together. So it gives us a way to collaborate and think creatively and recognize that in this moment of challenge, we can all turn that challenge into an opportunity and do it collaboratively. So it's a beautiful group of a community of people coming together. And we're usually like 60 to 70 to 80 people. And some people have told me that this has become their Wednesday ritual. And instead of calling Wednesday the Wednesday hump, they call it Aisha's Wednesday. So um, I love it. all your listeners are really welcome. And this brings to mind, like, this is for everyone. I've had people as young as nine and, you know, from nine to 90 design their life and transform their life using creative tools and that optimism and empathy, empathy we talked about. So everybody's welcome. I love it. And I have a, I have another confession to make. I signed up for yours yesterday and it was on my calendar. And then I got a frantic note from my hairdresser asking if I could come in earlier. So I couldn't go to virtual tea because I had to cover up the grays. So I'm going to totally come to next week's virtual tea because <laughs> I want to be in on this community as soon as I found out about it. So yes, I'm inviting all of our Rebel Soul community to join me there. And I want to dive into some more of your work. So so thank you for sharing. Thank you for making this time. Thank you for living out loud, being the happily living one and sharing it with all of us. It's really amazing the work you're doing. Shelly, you know, thank you so much. And I love now thinking of, of myself as this design the life you love rebel. I, I tell people I'm the design evangelista, but I might change and say, you know what? I'm, I'm a rebel. I like that. <gasps> yes. 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 Another one you. converted. You, you're changing me, converting me. Yes. <laughs> I have to say, this is why the whole epiphany I had in writing the book last year was that I've always been a rebel, but I was like the old kind of, you know, a definition of rebel that people don't always identify with because you're rebelling against everything and it's a little bit aggressive and it's all of those things. I'm like, that's not it. That's very limiting. That's on someone else's terms. And when I realized that the power is in rebelling for, and we all have the power to rebel for, I'm like, that's a superpower. And I can bring that out of everyone by framing it in this way, because it's really about, like I said, Rebel, for who you are, what you want and the impact you want to have in the world. So design rebel, it is let's coin it here. Thank you so much for joining. Thank and thank you, you everyone. Thank you. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you everyone for listening in. I'm sure you got tons of gems out of this and 
happy new year. Cause I think this is going to be the very last interview before the new year. So happy holidays and happy new year. And it was so awesome to spend this time with you, Aisha. This, this was a lot of fun. So one last thing that I would want yeah. to say, since you reminded us that this is the end of the year, as your new design rebel, I invite all of you to design the life you love for 2021. And you'll, you'll see it's much better than doing New Year's resolutions. Just design your life. Love it. Love it. So get <laughs> you can get Aisha's book. You can start mulling over the principles as a way to set up your 2021. I think it's the perfect, it's the perfect between your work and my work. Everybody is set for thinking about 2021 and coming out of COVID in a totally new and super powerful way. So you're welcome. <laughs> We should do a workshop together. I would love that. Let's definitely talk the, about that because I think our the rebellious design workshop. Mm. <laughs> okay, I'm holding you to that. I'm so following up with you because that would be really fun to do. Like your energy and my energy combined, I think some good stuff can come out we, of that. We would have so much fun. Yeah. All right, friends, you heard right. it here first. 2021, here we come. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. We'll tune out now. Bye. Hey Rebel, thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow Rebel souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at soulbatical.com and follow me at soulbatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, brave, and badass, and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?